Hi, welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy you're joining us on our journey through the book of Matthew. Join us today as we talk through the way Jesus instructed us to live the good life. Hey, welcome to Branch Life Church Online. I'm Josh, one of the pastors at Branch Life, and we are in the middle of our Good Life series where we're talking about how to have the best life possible. And we think that comes through Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're glad that you've joined us today, and we hope that you'll stick around as we start talking about one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible today. You might even have it memorized. So we hope that you will be encouraged by today's discussion. Hey, if you are connecting with us for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you could join us today. And if it's if you're with us every week, we're glad to have have you back. We would love for each and every one of you to take a moment and fill out your online connection card and let us know that you are worshiping with us today. Whether you're watching the premiere or watching at some point in the future on demand, go ahead and fill out that card. The link is always live. And as always, thank you to everyone who gives on a regular basis to Branch Life Church. Last week, we talked about radical generosity and you guys have been awesome in the way that you've given to God through Branch Life Church. Again, you can do that anytime at Branch Life Church slash give. So go to the website if you have any questions. Let us know how you're doing on those connection cards. We will pray for you, and we're going to jump in in Matthew chapter 6 to our series, The Good Life. I got a story to start off our conversation for you today, and it's about when we first moved into our house here in the Pottstown area. From our back porch, we have an incredible view of a beautiful farm that overlooks a river, and then behind that river are the two nuclear power plant towers. We moved into our house and one of the towers was at full steam, the other one was shut off, and we were learning about how it works and how it's turned on. And we got ourselves a few weeks into our home until we hit the second Sunday of the month. Now, what happens on the second Sunday of the month in and around the Limerick power plant is something that everyone who lives there knows all about, but we had just moved in, so we had no idea what would happen. At two o'clock on those Mondays, the nuclear power plant's alarm system has a test. This is a test where every alarm, every uh, bullhorn that's set up miles and miles and miles around the nuclear power plant goes off. And it goes off as an early warning system in case there is a meltdown. We didn't know that this was just a test. At two o'clock that afternoon, our first second Monday in the house, the alarms start blaring and we think that there is a nuclear reaction going off and that there's some sort of explosion right in our backyard in that power plant and we had extreme panic in that moment. That alarm totally got our attention. We were grabbing the kids, getting ready to shove them in the car and drive down the road. And we looked around at our neighbors and we said, why are you guys not as panicked as we are? They told us in that moment that it's only a test. They also said, hey, you're so close to the power plant that if you hear those alarms, run towards it, not away from it. Because hey, you're in for. So that's what we learned about living near a nuclear power plant. That alarm system was there to warn us and will be there to warn us in case something bad ever happens. 
We all know these alarm systems. We all have heard the amber alerts go off on our phone or the weather alerts. They've created tsunami alarm systems for islands uh, around the oceans. There's, there's even that alert that comes on your televisions uh, uh, every so often. You know, that beeping sound about emergency announcements. Why do those alarms exist? They exist so that your attention will then be given to the information that follows. And you have to have that intention, that information, because it's important. It's not something to be ignored. We're at the point in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus raises an alarm. Remember, Jesus has gathered a, a, a huge crowd that have come to investigate him, that have come to follow him, that have come to even challenge him. And we are here in that same crowd listening to Jesus. We're either following him, investigating him, or challenging him. And he's teaching these people truth. And he's doing some incredibly radical stuff. And he's, he's brought them up to the point of the conversation where he's going to sound the alarm. He starts blaring the alarm out and he says, beware, beware, beware. In Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 9 today. And in this section, he starts off with this alarm, this warning, or this word, beware. So the very first word in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, is the word beware. And it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Last week, we saw this as we looked at, in our Mother's Day context, radical generosity. Jesus is going to yell, beware. He's going to sound the alarm because he wants everyone to pay attention to what will follow. And then he starts talking about two very religious and very important things. First, he talks about giving. And second, he talks about prayer. We talked all about giving last week and giving and being radical, being radically generous is an incredibly powerful thing in all of our lives. I want to just stop and say thank you to everyone who gives to God on a regular basis through Branch Life Church. And, and Paul instructs us in the New Testament to give generously to the needy through our church. And we're supposed to be faithful and sacrificial and cheerful in that. And so many of you have been faithful and sacrificial and cheerful in giving to Branch Life Church. It's making what we're doing possible. And we can't wait to see what God does next. Thank you for giving. Now, there are some of you out there who are regularly participating in Branch Life Church or in your church, and you don't give. You don't give at all. As a matter of fact, as the statistics show, if we're a normal church, which I might say we're not a normal church, we're full of really strange people. But if we were a normal church, statistically, there would be a large percentage of the people who are a regular part of our church who don't give at all. And I just want to say to you, are you crazy? Are, are, can you believe that that's actually true? You know what you're missing out on when you don't give? The teaching about giving is 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 unmissable, uh, unmistakable. You're, you're missing out on blessings from the Lord. You're missing out on the joy of giving. You're missing out on what happens in sacrifice and you're missing out on trying to outgive God. All of those things happen to us when we give. And here's, here's the strange truth about following Jesus or about Christianity. A lot of times the last thing to get saved is our wallet. I think if, if God wanted to come down and really reveal our hearts, 
one of the first things he would take a good look at is our credit card history. As a matter of fact, if you showed Jesus your credit card history, Jesus would show you what you love and what you care about. If you love Jesus, then we give to Jesus. It is a regular and natural part of following Jesus. It's giving a foundational part of what it means to be a Christian. And the same thing is true about prayer. Prayer is absolutely essential in our lives, and it's something that we're going to talk about not only today, but more next week as we get into the details and the power and the process of prayer. But if you look at any person who is religious, any person who's following Jesus, these staples of giving and of prayer are going to be a part of that practice, or they should be. Now, Jesus says, hold on. Let me sound the alarm. Beware about prayer and giving done wrong. Beware about religious giving and religious prayer. And he's, he's shouting from the rooftops this incredible warning to this crowd and to you and I. And he's warning us against being religious. Jesus is against religion. Empty actions outward actions that have nothing to do with the inward heart. And what Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 6, particularly in verse 5, but in all the examples he's given of prayer and of uh, generosity can be summed up like this. Good faith must reject bad religion. That's his warning. That's the statement that he wants you to remember in this section of his teaching. This is the truth principle that he is getting out in his message to a bunch of very religious people who have gathered there to look at Jesus. He's saying to them, if you have good faith, if you have a relationship with me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you must reject bad religion. And then he's going to give uh, some teaching about what bad religion is. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he uses a very particular term that we want to unwrap today. Let me read this verse for us together. Matthew chapter 6, I'm reading verse 5. He says, and when you pray, remember that's one of those religious staples, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, what's the word in this verse that's extremely important to understand? The word is hypocrite. Jesus has said first, beware, beware of what? Beware of hypocrisy or beware of hypocrites or beware of being a hypocrite. So what does the word hypocrite mean? If you unpack this word and you kind of looked at it in the language that Jesus was speaking, it's literally translated play acting. It's, it's that thing that you do when you pretend to be something that you're not. Now, I was into play acting when I was in college. I loved to be in the plays and, and the murder mysteries. I remember being a, a character in a murder mystery, a live action play, where I, I, I got stabbed in the back during the play. And I came out right before the curtain call and I couldn't breathe right. And all of a sudden I fell over and everyone in the audience saw a knife sticking out of my back. Now, 
I didn't actually have a knife sticking out of my back. We had created a belt that wrapped around my torso and the knife was broken, but in that belt. And so it looked like I had a knife hanging out of my back and that it actually, actually died. But it wasn't real. It was play acting. And you know why we did it? We did it to make money on tickets so people could watch, pay to watch us be in this play. We did it so at the end we could have a curtain call where we would bow down and everyone would stand and applaud and, and give us a rousing applause and say, hey, great job, you did it. We did those things for praise. Jesus is saying when he uses the word hypocrite, when he says, don't be like the hypocrites, he says, beware of bad religion, which is play acting for praise. When he talks about giving, he says, don't give like the hypocrites or give like the religious people do in a way that everybody else can see them, but give in secret. Don't pray like the hypocrites do, standing on corners, shouting it out for everyone to hear because they are praying not for God's ears, but for the ears and for the praise of everyone around them. And the Bible says that they have their reward. You know what you do when you're play acting? You're posting on Facebook for more likes. You're hoping your Instagram will get the thumbs up, will get the hearts. And the more likes that you get, the better that you feel. Jesus says, hey, that's what hypocrites do. God says, if you give for likes, then your reward is those likes. And that, and that he's not going to give you any. We want to beware of play acting in religion. He then says, also beware of bad religion, which is in, wrapped up in this word, in the meaning of this word, hypocrites, means self-deceived. It goes even farther than someone playing a character who they not aren't truly, playing somebody on the outside who they aren't on the inside, but actually getting to the point where they think that character is really them. There are some really religious people out there who think they are doing the right thing, who think they are acting in a, the right way, and they think that by acting that way, they're going to gain some sort of favor with God. That's the ultimate self-deception when we think that our works will gain favor with God. It's not possible to do that. Yet, there are so many of us who are growing up in churches, attending our worship service, giving on a regular basis, praying out loud, that are attending Sunday school classes, that are serving on ministry teams, that might even be going on mission trips, and we have become self-deceived at thinking our religious actions are actually causing us to have favor with God. We think that they're, we think that we're right because of the good that we are doing. And Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who even become self-deceived. They don't even know that their empty religion is what they're depending on, not their relationship with God. And so many people are going to stand someday before the Lord. And the Bible says this, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to say, let me into heaven. And God's going to say, depart from me, go away from me. I cast you away because I never knew you. You see, a self-deceived person has no idea that they're putting religion over a relationship. And that's bad religion. Good faith rejects bad religion. And bad religion then also wrapped up in this is self-righteous in spirit. 
How would I know if I'm involved in bad religion? Well, bad religion leads to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is, is this idea of pride where I say, I know I am better than you. I, I am better than you. And so when I'm self-righteous, I look down on the other people around me. I look down on the people who look, who look and think and act differently than I do. I say to them that you have to behave before you belong. Not only is my self-righteousness a pride thing, it's a judgmental thing where I say, I know better than you. And I look at someone and I say, I'm smarter. I have a more inward track. I have a better grasp on truth than you have. And again, it caused me to look down on them and to puff myself up. And, and the, the, the danger of self-righteousness is that we can even become distracted by our own religion. You know, Satan is alive and well, and he's out there trying to cause all of us to walk away from Christ, not towards him. And there's so many of us that think, hey, because I'm good, because I follow the Ten Commandments, I don't murder, I don't steal, I, I'm not taking things away from my neighbor, I don't commit adultery, I, I, I do more good than I do bad, that I'm going to somehow gain favor with God. And Satan's like, I don't have to get those people to actually murder or to actually steal from someone or to actually commit adultery. I just have to get those people to be distracted. And a lot of times Satan's temptation is to distract us from the truth. And if he can distract us by our own religion, he still wins. He still keeps us away from God. And self-righteousness is a distraction of self. It's a distraction of religion that keeps us away from a relationship with God. Here's the warning. Here's why he's saying beware. You might be a religious person. You might be someone who's been a part of a religious system, been a part of being in, in a church or in a worship service or in a, in a synagogue or at a mass, and you think that being a part of that religion means that you have favor with God. Jesus says, beware, that is not good faith. That is faith that's based on your actions. Good faith rejects bad religion. And what's happened is this distraction or this bad religion has become so persuasive or so invasive in our lives and in our communities that it's caused religion itself is causing a bad name for Jesus. You see, bad religion looks very little like the golden rule. Bad religion thinks more of itself than it does of other people. Bad religion doesn't put other people's needs first. Bad religion doesn't treat other people the way that they want to retreat, be treated. It looks down on them. It demands from them. Bad religion is exhausting. But good faith is exhilarating. When you have a relationship with Jesus, it trumps religion and you get, you get to follow him. You don't have to follow him. And this bad religion that looks little like the golden rule has had incredibly terrible consequences in our culture today. Let me give you a couple of stats that I want to share with you that come from various sources and various studies that are out there. 53% of people in our region in the Northeast of the United States are not a part of any church, whether it's a Bible-believing church or anything that would call itself a church. They have no connection, no membership, are not a part of any specific church. 80% of the people 
in our region today did not attend any worship, worship service, period, this weekend. So that's, that's one out of every two people are, are not connected to a church, and 20 out of 100 people went to some sort of worship service today. 18% of those in our community would identify as SBNRs. Well, what's SBNR? Spiritual, but not religious. In other words, they have a belief in God or a God, but they don't want to be connected to any kind of religious organization. They believe that there must be a higher power, but they're rejecting religion. They're rejecting the institutions of religion that are the options today. 20, 26% of the people in our region would classify themselves as nuns. And out of that group, 40% of those who are 25 to 40 years old would consider themselves nuns. And here's a nun. That's someone who's atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. They have no view on religion whatsoever. There's nothing that they believe in or that they're following. Why are so many people, why are the majority of people not active or not participating in an active relationship with Jesus or in religion? Because bad religion is persuasive in our lives and in our community. This is why Jesus spoke against bad religion. This is why Jesus said, you have to build your, rock, your house on the rock, me, not your house on the sand, religion. If you build your house on the sand, it will fall apart in the storm. But if you build your house on me, on the rock, your house will stand. And so Jesus says this, John says this about Jesus in John chapter 1. He said, the word Jesus became flesh. And Jesus made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So many people are trying to be religious and obey the law, but Jesus has come and he said grace even before truth. And he is the living example and the embodiment of what it means to be grace-filled. And when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand the marriage between grace and truth. What if the church was amazing at grace? What if we were amazing at giving grace to other people? And instead of saying, I know more or I'm better than you, that we said, I love you and I care about you. We put our arms around our neighbors. We sought to meet their needs and we genuinely had a loving, kind, grace-filled compassion for those that we came in contact in every night. Instead of looking down our noses, instead of being judgmental and correcting their behavior at every opportunity we get, we just demonstrated truth in love filled with grace. What if the church was amazing at grace? Then I think more people would see and be attracted to a relationship with Jesus. Let your light shine before men so that they could see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You make the earth a better place when you follow Jesus in grace and truth. Our goal at Branch Life Church, our encouragement and our challenge and our vision is that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus and who is saved by the name of Jesus will give that same grace, that same grace that Jesus poured out on you to all of those around you, that we would be amazing at grace and that our faith, our good faith, would reject bad religion. 
Just give me a moment here to reconnect my device. So good faith must reject bad religion. Here's what good faith looks like. And here's, here's the opposite or the antithesis of what it means to be a hypocrite. Good faith knows enough to be humble. You see, if bad faith is full of superiority and self-righteousness, good faith knows enough to be humble. When you are learning about Jesus and who Jesus is, you realize that you could never know it all, that, that there's always more to learn, and that though you think you might be absolutely right today, there's still probably some, something in your future that you will learn more about. And the more we know, the more we don't know what we know. And we just have this ability to know enough to be humble not to know everything and be prideful. Good faith is generous with grace and love because we realize that God has been generous with his grace and his love towards us. We want to encourage you at Branch Life Church to err on the side of generosity, to err on the side of grace and love for those around you. God has called us to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And good faith is poor in spirit. Jesus started off, his entire sermon by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit, if you recall, means being open-handed and knowing that you have nothing to bring to the table. You have no righteousness of your own. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. You are in desperate need of Jesus to save you. And when you realize that you need Jesus, you come then in good faith to be saved by Jesus and walk in the power of his spirit not in the power of your religion. Now, how do we get there? How do, we, how do we get to humility and grace and love? How do we get to the spot where we can be poor in spirit? That's why Jesus then brings up this staple of prayer. Because prayer is the key to being able to have good faith. Prayer is a fundamental practice in all of our lives. And in this next section, this week and next week, as we look at prayer, we're going to look at this instruction where Jesus says, you pray. Look at Matthew chapter, five, chapter 6, verse 5. He says, and when you pray. You see, the bad religious people were praying, but they were praying for other people to hear. And Jesus was saying, don't not pray. But when you pray, it's, it's, it's a command, it's a directive, it's an encouragement, it's an assumption that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you will be someone who prays. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, in verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Now here's what Jesus says as he gets into the instructions about prayer. True, heartfelt prayer. Prayer from the inside out. Not play acting for praise. Not not for religious favor with God, but simply to have communication with God. Number one, pray in a posture of humility. Now, it doesn't matter if you stand or kneel or fall flat on your face when you pray. As a matter of fact, all of those postures are appropriate at different times and for different reasons. But when you come before God, your posture of humility, your heart attitude towards God matters. He says, I want you to come not standing and waving around like having a show for other people to be entertained by, but to come as you're walking into the presence of the holy God. And sometimes you're going to jump for joy. Sometimes you're going to fall on your face. And other times you're just going to land on your knees in prayer. But come in a posture of humility. Poor in spirit, God, you have everything and have it all, and I am undeserving of your amazing grace. He then says, after the posture of humility in verse 5, in verse 6, come to a place of come to a place of private conversation. He wants you to go to the secret place, to, to the spot where other people can't hear you, and have this private conversation intimate conversation with God. It's not an opportunity to preach truth to other people around you. It's not an opportunity to continue your message or to berate someone or go after correction, but to have a conversation in private with God. Can there be moments where other people are around you and they hear you? Absolutely. Jesus himself prayed on occasion in and around other people, but it's about who you're talking to. And he wants you to talk to God. Most of our prayers should be secret prayers. As a matter of fact, our public prayers are meaningless if we don't first have fervent private prayer. And we want to be able to know that God who hears in secret will then answer us in secret. It's a conversation that we have privately. And then we have, with, have it without pre-planned phrases. Man, so many religious people miss this. We think that if we say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, that if we finally say it enough times, that God will then answer the prayer. And it doesn't matter how many Hail Marys you say or how many rosary beads you touch. It doesn't matter how many times you even repeat the Lord's Prayer again. The repetition of words does not gain favor with God. As a matter of fact, in this passage, he says, God already knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. So just say it. Just have a regular conversation with God. Don't come repeating phrases over and over and over again. We, a lot of us have memorized this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Now here's one of the danger of repetitious prayer. It can lose its power and it can lose its meaning. We can just start saying it over and over and over again. That's why I think God directs us to sing a new song. Because the new song grabs our hearts again afresh. We don't just go through the motions. The danger of liturgy, the danger of tradition, the danger of repetition is that it becomes heartless and it becomes rote religion. Jesus says, don't use repeated phrases. And we know that Jesus himself did not just simply repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over again. One example, and the only example of Jesus 
praying a lengthy prayer in public is in John chapter 17. He prays in the presence of his disciples and he prays for his disciples. But that prayer is marked by having an intimate, private conversation with God where he goes over the needs of the day, where he asks for God's direction and God's will and God's kingdom. All of those things that are present in the, in the Lord's Prayer are present in John chapter 17, but they're present in a conversational way, like one talking to a friend, like a father talking to a son. And Jesus shows us that it's not just repeated phrases, but when you pray, pray in humility, Pray in private and pray without using repeated words. First Thessalonians gives us this encouragement in, in chapter 5, verse 16, 18. It says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. God wants us to be regular people that are filled with joy, constant in prayer, and cheerful in thanksgiving, no matter what happens. Man, this looks like the good life to, to me. A life full of joy, a life full of connection with Christ, and a life full of gratitude. All of that is within grasp with us. And this truth principle that's true for everyone everywhere that comes from this verse simply allows us to know this. Prayer is a conscious choice to have a constant connection to Christ. Prayer is a constant choice. I'm intentionally going to choose to have a constant connection with Christ. I don't know how people understood this truth principle in the past, but man, one of the simplest ways for us to understand it today is simply this. I heard a comedian on uh, television talking about when he was growing up and he didn't have any kids, his parents were going to say to him, someday you're going to have kids and you're going to lose them and you're going to know what it feels like to lose that most precious thing that you've ever had. And he started looking at them. He goes, I already know that feeling. It happens to me every time I go to make a phone call and I reach into my pocket and I, I, I realize my, my, my phone's not there. Where, where's my phone? Have you ever gotten in the car and started getting down the road and you got a mile or two away from your house and you realized that you had left your phone? You left your phone in the back and all of a sudden you feel this panic that starts coming in and stirs inside of you and you're like, I don't know if I can survive without my phone. I don't know. How, how am I going to make a call? What if I get in an accident? What if someone texts me and I'm not there? What if, what if there's a notification on my Facebook page and I'm not, I'm not able to receive it right away? What if someone snaps me or my TikTok dance is going viral? I don't know what to do if I don't have my phone. And we have this internal anxiety in our lives because we have made a constant choice to be constantly connected to our phones. And we have become addicted to connection. Jesus, uh, other people realize that this is a, a real issue in our lives. The internet is full of these memes that describe the emotions that we go through. Just wait, I forgot my phone. How far would it take? How many miles would you have to have driven in order for you not to turn around and go, go get your phone? The other day, I lost my phone. The other day, I was without my phone. And did I survive or not? Would we have an emotional breakdown? Would we forget exactly how to live in this culture? When you reach into your pocket and you don't feel your phone, we all have had those moments. Hey, Jesus is going to teach us about prayer. And in this conversation of prayer, he's going to want us, he's encouraging us with this truth principle to have a constant connection to Christ. Why don't we panic when we don't feel connected to God? 
What would we do in order to turn around and reestablish that connection? If Jesus was literally with us everywhere we went, and we had that connection to him, able to talk to him in the moment about a decision we were, we were going to make, able to ask him to help us as we were in the midst of a, a, a relationship or a crisis. When the storm was rolling in, knowing that Jesus was there and is there to protect us. Billy Sunday says this, if you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. When we are followers of Jesus and we know that we are connected to Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, prayer, prayer is our connection to that unlimited resource of power. There is nothing that cannot be done through the power of prayer, the power of prayer, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that causes our faith to be able to move mountains, the same power that gives us eternal life and life more abundant is accessible to you and I through prayer. That's why I'm excited about next week that we're going to come together and we're going to dive in to the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to learn because it takes intentional learning to learn how to pray and how to pray correctly. Martin Luther says this about prayer. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be al- than to be alive without breathing. Maybe today you're here and you thought, you know what, I don't pray I don't have a connection to Christ. I'm not someone who's regularly communicating with God. I I leave him out of my life. Maybe for you, your first step then is to become a Christian, to become someone who is intentionally following Jesus. And if prayer is not a regular part of your life, maybe today you need to listen to the warning to beware. Maybe you've been living a religious life, but you haven't been depending on a relationship with God. For those of us who have a relationship with God, prayer is as important as breathing. And today I want to invite you into that relationship with God. If you're not certain that you're saved, if you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, I want to encourage you to talk with God through prayer and say this. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died and rose on the Uh, died on the cross and rose again for me. And I want to accept the free gift of salvation. Jesus says, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth prayer that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Today, if you prayed that prayer, today is the day that you have become a true Christian, not just a religious person, but a person who's depending on your relationship with God for your own salvation and for life and life more abundantly. And I want to welcome you to the family of God. I want to encourage you to let us know by raising your hand in your chat or typing, I prayed that prayer, or letting the person who invited you to listen to this today, letting them know that you prayed to accept Jesus as Savior. If you could let us know on the connection card that today you prayed to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, we would be thrilled to celebrate that with you privately. We're not going to point you out or do anything. We will just celebrate through prayer that you've become a part of the family of God. Next week, we're going to dive into Perfect Prayer Part 2, and it is the Lord's Prayer. We're going to travel through that together. So don't miss next week. And before you go, we want to encourage everyone to take some time to fill out your connection card. Let us know that you worshiped with us today. Please do that. 
I would consider it a personal favor to me if you stopped and took a moment to fill out that card that's connected right now. And if you can't find it in your chat room, you can always go to branchlife.church to fill it out. It's on our front page. If you have any questions about your own personal relationship with Jesus, go to the gospel tab and there you'll find more information about how you can know for sure that you're a follower of Jesus and that Jesus is your savior. Hey guys, thank you so much for being with us today. Let me pray over all of us as we go our separate ways. God, we thank you that we can be connected even online in these moments. And God, that you hear our prayers. Lord, help us to be people who powerfully pray uh, through these regular, humble, private conversations with you. And God, would you use prayer to help us grow closer to you in the days and the weeks ahead. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, as you go from this place, let me give you some homework. I want to encourage you to spend a specific moment every day praying to God. But always keep that connection regular and handy so you can use it as we pray without ceasing. If you need prayer resources or any, have any questions about prayer, please ask those on the connection card. We would love to get those to you. We do have a resource available at Branch Life Church to help with prayer. and It is our prayer first journal. Uh, we have these available with us here at our Branch Life Church Worship Center. If you have any questions about these or would like one of these, let us know on your connection card. And if you would like it mailed to you, we just need a way to contact you via your email or your address, and we can send one of these out right away. We'll talk more about this next week, so don't forget to join us. Thanks for being a part of worship today. Have a great rest of your day.